Amen. Um, it's good to be with y'all, New City Church. Uh, my name's AJ. Uh, I have the privilege of being on staff here. Uh, if y'all been here a while, you were like, what just happened? Eric walked up to give the sermon, prayed, and walked off. Um, but I get the privilege of bringing you uh, the sermon today, and so I'm really excited about that. Uh, if it is your first time with us, uh, man, we are just excited that you're here. I would love to meet you uh, and get to know you, and so thank you for being here this morning. Uh, and so as we dive in, we're going to be looking at John 3. Um, we're going to continue our time walking through the book of John, asking the question, what do we believe? What do you believe? Uh, and so, but before we get into that, I think it's helpful to know this about me. Um, I love clarity. Like, I mean, I love it. I love connecting the dots, watching things come together. I just think that's the good stuff. Like, that's what just makes me happy when it all just fits. Um, and it's one of those things where... Um, I had a buddy come over a few weeks ago to build this like hanging shelf in my garage. Uh, and I was like, man, we're going to knock this out in a night. This is going to be great. Um, but as we, well, short story, all we did was really get things out of the box and get one corner up. Like that's all that really happened. But it wasn't because of my buddy. He was, he was on point. He was ready to help. But I couldn't like connect it. I couldn't see how it all came together. And it was one of those things where that what I thought was going to be a one-night project turned into like a week-long project, but that's neither here nor there. doesn't matter. But for me, I love to connect the dots. I think that's when, like, like I said, that's the good stuff. And some of y'all are like this. Some of y'all like get those directions out. You read them. You're like, man, I see how it all goes together. And some of y'all give me twitches when you're like, let's just figure this out. Like, let's just go for it. I mean, I'm like, people, directions are for a reason. Like they give it to you. They tell you how to do it. You don't have to figure it out. But I, I'm convinced God has a sense of humor. I'm just, because he brings these two types of people together, doesn't he? He does. Whether it's in marriage or in work, he brings the people that like to just figure it out and the people that love the plan. And then he brings them together. Y'all, this is the picture of Pastor Eric and I. Okay. And I've already told you who I am. I've already told you who I am. But y'all, we have a wonderful pastor because he sees where we're at as a church and he dreams these dreams, man, he's got it. Man, he sees where God's calling New City and he's like, we're like A, he's seeing all the way to Z and we meet and I'm like, wow, yes, I'm gonna follow that guy anywhere. I'm ready to go. How are we gonna do this? He goes, well, we'll figure it out. And I'm like, no, 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 no. How are we gonna do this? Well, we're gonna figure it out, AJ, it's gonna work okay. It's, I get my twitches out and then we dive in and I just keep asking questions and questions and he's been gracious. And, but in all that, I mean, I'm really thankful to be here because I see what God's doing at New City and he's helped me connect a lot of dots and I see where God's leading us. And then I'm, I'm excited for what God's going to do here at New City. But in John chapter three, that's where we're going to be spending our time today. We're going to see a man, we're going to get introduced to a man named Nicodemus. And I think Nicodemus and I are similar because he likes to have it figured out. He's trying to connect all the dots. And as we read, though, we're going to see really early on in our passage that Nicodemus is going to run into a problem, one that he can't figure it out. But I think it's not just Nicodemus that has the problem. It's all of us that have this problem, one that we need clarity on. And I think Jesus gives us that clarity, albeit not right out the gate. It's super clear. Not on the surface level, at least. And so, but he's going to give us, Jesus is going to give us an answer that I feel affects us all. And it's something we all need to hear this morning. 
And so we dive into our passage this morning. I'm not going to give us this big idea. And so Pastor Eric's really great at this. I'm like, I got to connect the dots. All right. And so we're just going to problem solve this text together. We're going to walk through it. And we're going to see some problems and we're going to see how Jesus answers though, answers them. But at the end, there is going to be a main idea. And so you're just going to have to stick with me. All right. We're in this together. I promise. But let's read our passage for today. And we're going to be looking at John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. Come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that, he, that the world might be, might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he is not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now that's a lot. And I'm, I'm not going to be able to turn over every diamond that's in this passage. I promised uh, Pastor Eric that I would keep it to 90 minutes. And so we got to keep this tight and moving. That is a joke. I promise you. I promise you. Um, but right off the bat, though, we're, we see a lot in this passage. And that's why we're going to just dive in and we're going to walk through this and problem solve together because I think there's just a lot happening here. And so, but really quickly, we see that there's a man named Nicodemus, a Pharisee. And so Pharisees during this time, just to give us some context, were middle-class businessmen who had great influence uh, in their community and had prominent knowledge of the law, of the word of God, the Old Testament. But Nicodemus, what we see, wasn't just a Pharisee. He was a Sadducee. We see that because they tell us he was the ruler of the Jews. So he sat in kind of an equivalent seat of like the Jewish Supreme Court. He had power. He had authority in this. But what our text shows us really like out the gate is we see that he came to Jesus at night. 
He came trying to figure something out. He was trying to figure out just who Jesus was. Because he realized, and we'll look at the verses one through three in just a second, he realized he was a somebody. Because not just anybody, as we've seen through our time in the book of John, not just anybody can turn water to wine. Not just anybody can walk into the temple, make a whip, drive everybody out and flip tables. You got to be somebody to be able to do those type of things. And so, but there's something special. And so he wants to figure out what this is, but he's trying to figure out a way around it. How do I look into this? So let's look at our first three verses together. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When we look at this like really early interaction with Jesus and Nicodemus, we see that Nicodemus is trying to investigate something for himself. He's coming to this teacher. He's coming to talk philosophy or about the scriptures, or he's coming to just say like, man, why in the world do you flip over tables? He's trying to figure things out. He even knows like he's got authority. He calls him teacher. He calls him rabbi. And so as we put things together, this was a man looking for answers in someone who was from God. He was looking for answers. We saw that last week he was not just turning tables upside down, but he was turning the way the temple worked upside down. Something was changing. Something people were beginning to believe in Jesus. Because we look at the, the end of John chapter 2, we see people in Jerusalem during this time were believing in Jesus. And he's like, what is going on? Where are the answers coming from? But, and I feel like we're all there sometimes. I feel like we can all be there, man. We're, we're there. We're trying to make sense of what's going on in our lives. We're trying to understand how things can actually be the way they are. We look at politics, we look at school, we look at parenting. I sure don't know what's going on there. But we look at work, all of these different things though. In the midst, we see people beginning to figure things out. And so we're like, all right, well, you seem to be trusting in this guy. I'm gonna go figure this out. I'm gonna go where people seem to be finding answers. And so in the world, we seek out answers in relationships, in jobs, in degrees, in sports, in hobbies. But at the end of the day, I think we're really honest with ourselves, and I think Nicodemus felt this way. It wasn't fully fulfilling. There was something missing, and people were finding an answer in this man named Jesus, and he wanted to figure out what that looked like. And so, our main man, Jesus, enters into the conversation. And I'm like, Jesus and his conversation skills, I'm not going to critique our Lord and Savior, but I'm like, man, he just cuts to it. Like, there's no nicety here. He just cuts right to it and he cuts to the deep end of the conversation. He just jumps right in. And so he doesn't address Nicodemus's statement. He just begins to put words to Nicodemus's most innermost dilemma because Nicodemus is seeking out something. He's seeking out where the answers are found. And he goes and he says, you, unless that you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so a buddy of mine, he says that that's uh, clear as mud. And that's the way I felt reading this passage. Like, all right, you, we just started off the conversation and you jumped into the deep end and I don't know where we're going. For me, as I mentioned earlier, I can't, how do you connect these dots right off the gate? Because Nicodemus felt this way. 
Nicodemus said to him in verse four, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus is stumped. He's throwing out like weird stuff now. Now we're at this point like, what's going on? And occasionally we can look at Nicodemus and think, this is, this is a guy who doesn't know what's happening. This is a guy who doesn't have qualifications to be talking to Jesus. But remember, Nicodemus is no dummy. But he's a Pharisee. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. He knows his scriptures. He knows that somebody's to come and to bring radical, foundational change. Even the rabbis during this time had a saying uh, regarding the language of being born again, knowing that the old would pass away and that the new would come. This would mean radical, foundational change. But what we see in Nicodemus' response as he like processes all this is he realized finding it because he's been looking for it seems as hard as climbing back into the womb. It's just like, what? You want me to be born again to see the kingdom of God? I've been looking for it. I can't find it. This is crazy. I can't connect these dots. Nicodemus wasn't su suggesting some biological miracle, but he was showing this deep sense of longing for change. He longed to be born again. He longed for the fresh start. Because up to this point, Nicodemus would just assume that like, you enter the kingdom of God, you see the kingdom of God by being a good person. I keep the law. I uphold the law. I have uh, the right parents. I have the right status. But as we saw in John chapter 2, Jesus just flips this all upside down. Y'all can't tell I really loved that analogy last week. Man, I, we got a good pastor, don't we? But in this, Nicodemus has a problem. He's got a problem now because his whole system was just flipped upside down. Because Jesus says you cannot enter the kingdom of God, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And he's like, well, how are we born again? How can I have the desires of my heart to have this radical foundation occur? And I think if we are honest with ourselves, we all get to that point with Nicodemus, don't we? We all hit this point at one time or another, realizing something's got to change. Something has to be different. I can't keep operating in the status quo. There's this idea, I want to be reborn. I want to have this fresh start. I want something new because I can't stand it anymore. I can't just walk this way. And so we realize we can't run the relentless pace in trying to earn the approval of the boss or that person. We just want to notice this. I can't keep it up. We can't keep working these long hours and making money and buying these things that I never use because I got to go work the long hours and buy more stuff that I'm never going to use. I can't keep seeking out comfort and meaning uh, in relationships or jobs or school because at the end of the day, it isn't fulfilling. All the things the world says that would fulfill us fail us. And so what do we do? We find ourselves desiring this new birth, this fresh start, and it's found. The, our, our scripture tells us it's found in the kingdom of God. But there's a, there's a problem that we see. Our text gives us our problem that we're going to try to dive, dive into today. And that's, man, you have to be reborn. You have to be born again. How are we going to be born again? How? I feel like that's where Nicodemus is at. How? And so Jesus doesn't leave Nicodemus waiting for an answer. So let's look at verses five through seven together. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, 
Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Y'all, this is amazing. It may not seem it on the surface because it's not about as clear as mud still. But in this, Jesus just laid out the essentials of salvation. He laid out the essentials to a new and fulfilling life. And I get that. You're like, AJ, where'd you get that? There's a lot of born language. There's water, there's spirit, and there's wind. What are we talking about? And I just want to like reassure you because I can see some of your faces right now. Actually, I can see all your faces. But some of your faces are like, what is going on? Where are we going? And Nicodemus felt this in verse nine. I felt this as I walked through this text. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? He's standing there talking with Jesus. He may be sitting at this point because he's just stumped. But he's sitting there, how can these things be? And so I want to take some time and dive into this because we have a problem. How can we be born again? Because that's how we're going to enter the kingdom of God. How does this happen? Because the solution comes in that, but I, I sometimes feel like we have to ask that question, how can this happen? Because we all, it isn't just for Nicodemus, it's for all of us. Because all of us have this sense of longing. All of us have this sense of like, man, where is all this found? And so we're going to work through this and we're going to look at some context and we're going to pull in some different places. But our problem in verses five through eight is that it begins to even be compounded is that you have to be born of the water and spirit to be, enter the kingdom of God. It's not just that you have to be born again. You got to be born of something else because it says the flesh ourselves keep us from entering the kingdom of God. How can this be? That we and ourselves, man, we continually mess up. The way into the kingdom of God is for, for, for perfection. You have to be righteous in your own standing. And so we sit there and we're like, well, that doesn't work. I'm not perfect. I can stand up here and say, I'm not perfect, so I can't do that in myself. But our, I love how this text, and really just scripture in itself, man, it just builds on itself and it gives you these answers and it helps you begin to connect the dots. Because we see our like, first part of the solution uh, is that you gotta be born of the water and of the spirit. And you're like, well, that's about as clear as muddy water, right? And so in that though, I think it's helpful, man, it's just not to be born again of water and of the spirit. It's just not like, how does that happen? But what we see happen is why? Why is this the case? Why can't I go in the flesh? And our, our text gives us the answer. You, the flesh cannot enter the kingdom of God. And you're like, well, what's so good about the kingdom of God? And so we begin to ask all these questions. And, I, and this is where like my mind, this is just an insight into me. And so y'all are like, where is all this? I'm telling you, my mind, Pastor Eric knows this. I got to connect the dots. And so we're, it's going to come together. But it's one of these moments where we have to ask, the kingdom of God is where God himself resides. It's where Jesus is currently sitting. It's, he's at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf because of what he's done for us. But more practically, to bring it right here and right now, not entering the kingdom of God is to be without forever hope, but be without lasting joy. It's to live in a world and a place that's constantly letting you down. You keep placing your trust in something else, trying to find that answer somewhere, and it just fails. 
And so we see ourselves seeking wherever we can find answers and never finding them. And I, I get this world has good things in it. There's things that bring joy and happiness. But the question I ask, and I think Jesus is posing to Nicodemus, is like, is it lasting? Is it there? Is that degree or program or job that you're working so hard to bring to fruition or to just to keep, is that going to continue to give you everlasting joy? Is our friends and our families, our kids and our careers, all these things, man, they're wonderful things. Man, I love them. But they don't, are not where I'm going to find hope forevermore. They're going to fail. They're going to disappoint. If people put their hope in me, I'm going to disappoint. I'm going to fail. But the beauty of the kingdom of God, this is where, man, we desire this because this is where all the sad things become untrue. This is where there's no more disappointment or evil things. This is where sweet rest, just that idea of rest, man, that's sweet. And that's where it's found, where we can truly be fully known and fully loved. And when we're born again, we see that, man, there's beauty in this. There's something that Nicodemus is searching for here. He's searching for this. And so what does it look like to be born again? We go back to our question, how can we be born again? We're born of the water and the spirit. And you're like, well, okay, that's good. What does this mean? So we, we use our context here and we go back to John 1 and we look at John baptizing in John 1 and we begin to see this idea of people coming to him. They're wanting to be made new. They're, this baptism is a symbol of this. The old being washed away, being renewed. And so what we see here is that Jesus is showing us that first step, part A of B really for us, is that to be born of the water is to have a spirit of repentance, to have a posture of repentance, to realize that we have sinned. We've missed the mark in being perfect. We realize that our actions are a different, a direct offense to a holy God, and we must repent and turn away. Being born of the water means that we need to be of the, be a, have a posture of repentance, but if there's two parts to this. When you're born of the water, you have to be born of the Spirit because we have to be made new. We have to have this radical foundational change in how we see things. And that's where the Spirit comes into play. Through our eyes being opened and our sin being revealed and our need just to repent, and it comes. Because being of the Spirit, and this is, this is important for us to know, it isn't of our own doing. I never can work enough and be good enough to hit this point where I'm now like made new. I can't just work to that. I, had, I love this born again language because it's just so like direct. I had no part in being born. I didn't. And so I'm sitting here and I'm going, okay. So I have no part in being born of the spirit. How does, how does it come then? If I can't work for it, because if for y'all, for me, it's like I need to work for it. I need to get to it. How do I make it happen? I'm going to connect these dots and I'm going to get to the kingdom. But scripture shows us that we have to be born again in this. And so it shows us that it's like the wind. Let's look at verse eight together. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Y'all, God is in the business, and we've seen this over the past few weeks, of transforming people, and we don't even know when it's coming. He walks into a temple, and he just flips table and cleanses things. He, does it. he turns water to wine at a wedding when he's not even the groom. He's in the business of transforming. 
And before we really dive in, I just, for those of you who have trusted in Christ, who you can like say, man, I am born again. And I just wanna just in this moment, just encourage you to remember when your eyes were open. It came in like a rushing wind and you didn't even know it was coming. What a moment that was when we realized our need and our helplessness and realized God has provided a way for us to be born again, to be born of the water and the spirit, that we don't have to earn anything or find anything. We just simply have to take this free gift given and that was bought by Jesus Christ. He welcomes us into the family as children of God. And so there's this idea that, man, it's, this is all it is. It's in Jesus. And we're about to see this come to fruition. And I'm, whew, man, I got to calm down. We got, we got 55 more minutes to go. Um, but we see it. We see this idea. And the idea of wind, it, it hits home with me. I'm from the beach. And so hurricanes and all that, um, I get like the power of wind. But I really just like to be on the water. I enjoy it. I like to be in a boat or a kayak. Um, I just, in that though, you gain a really good appreciation for the wind because it just dictates so much when you're on the water. And it's just extremely humbling how something you cannot see determines so much. Um, I had this little boat up in North Carolina and I went out on the lake one day and man, it was a beautiful day. It was like water was smooth. I was fishing, not catching, all right? But that's just par for the course. But I was out there. I was just having a good time. But all of a sudden, man, a storm rolls up, and the wind picks up. And I'm sitting there like, okay, like it's time to go home. But I got this, like, little boat, and I'm going slow. And it's one of these things where all of a sudden, like, waves start happening. Y'all, I'm on a lake. Lake don't have waves, all right? <laughs> I'm sitting here going, what just happened? But the wind kicked up and it began to affect everything. And I can do a lot of things to make things better. I can do things to make things worse in this situation, but there's something I can't do. I can't control the wind. I couldn't control where it's coming from. I can't control to a large portion at that point uh, with this story. I couldn't control where it was leading me. I was, man, I was just there. I was in this big old lake with, man, just a storm upon me. But I've been on a boat in other situations where, like, man, it just dictated where we had to go, what we had to do. And so I gained this appreciation for the wind. And so as I see this in Scripture, and we see it multiple times throughout Scripture, man, wind takes on a powerful meaning because it, it talks about the Spirit. And the Spirit, just like the wind, goes where it wishes. And there's evidence of transformation there. I was on the lake that day and realized something was changing. I didn't have anything to do with it. There was a force out there that made this massive body of water that I was on change its demeanor. Man, it changed the way it looked. It changed the way the fish operated inside of it. It changed everything that day because the wind came up and it came on when I couldn't see it. I didn't know where it was coming from, where it was going, but it changed how everything around it operated. And so the Spirit has these same qualities. It comes on and it changes everything. I, my mind goes to Acts 2 and Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes upon everybody like a rushing wind and things just go bonkers. People are hearing one guy talk in a whole bunch of different languages and people are saved. 3,000 people come to know the Lord. We see elsewhere, man, it's like a rushing wind that comes on and it's just overwhelming when it happens. 
And so we see the Spirit of God and what it can do in someone's life, but we see that we have no control over it. And so we continue to ask this question, how can we be born again? How can it be? Because that's where Nicodemus is at. That's where Nicodemus is at at this point in our story. He's sitting there going, how can it be? How can I get the Spirit? I don't know. It's like the wind. How can I be born again? Well, you just need to be born of water and spirit. Well, how does all this happen? Why is all this happening? And so let's pick up in verses 10 through 15 and begin to unearth these answers. Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel and yet do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Man, what we see here is Jesus speaking with authority. He's speaking as one who has come from heaven. He's speaking in verses 10 through 12 and shows that he is speaking as one who's come from heaven, who has the authority to speak of heavenly things. And so we begin to see our solution come forward in verse 14, where it says that the son of man must be lifted up. And that's the second part of our solution. We need to be born of the water and the spirit. But how does that happen? The son of man must be lifted up. And so you may be sitting here and going, AJ, this is a puzzle that I'm struggling to put together. I just want to remind you, Nicodemus was there. That's where he was at in verse 9. He says, how can these things be? But remember, Jesus is bringing Nicodemus, and he, I think he's, he's about to do this because we're about to get to one of the most well-known verses here, and we'll be back on solid ground. But where we see him taking Nicodemus in verse 14 is the Numbers 21. Now, that may not be familiar ground to you, and that's okay. Uh, that's why I'm up here. All right, I get to give you the quick recap of Numbers 21. All right, and so Numbers 21 is where the people of Israel were going to the promised land. They began to badmouth Moses and God. And so what does God do to deal with their rebellion? He sends fiery, venomous serpents. This is just another reason, well, two reasons. Don't mess with God and snakes are from the devil. All right, let's just get real. All right, fiery, venomous serpents. This is how God's gonna deal with his people. Okay, but we don't, we don't need to mess with snakes because in this, they're in their fear as it was biting and killing people what we saw was they cried out. They cried out and cried out to God. And so God made a way for them to come back. And he told Moses to make this serpent and put it on a pole. And anybody who looks at the serpent will be healed. That was it. That's all they had to do was look and they would be healed. And so Nicodemus, I, I'm just like, he's there with Jesus. At this point, I would be sitting down, scratching my head because he's trying to tie all this together. But Nicodemus, he's sitting there with Jesus I'm assuming his mouth's hanging open at this point. And he, when Jesus said that he, remember, he just referenced who he was. Who he, the son of man, must be lifted up just as a serpent was. And once this happens, here it all comes. Anyone who believes in him may have eternal life. This is it. Jesus in this moment is giving Nicodemus and us an illustration that shows that there is an answer to what we long for. There is an answer to find that radical foundational change where all things are made new. What we find is that our solution didn't come in the form of, of wisdom or a place, 
But the solution comes in Jesus, the Son of Man being lifted up. And this is the complete solution to our problem of being born again. Because Jesus goes to the cross, he dies on the cross and being raised three days later, defeats sin and death. And so we are born again in water and spirit if we believe in Jesus. And so the solution to us entering the kingdom of heaven is to believe and trust in Jesus. It's that simple. But we'll see that there's more to that. Because we see in verse 15, and it's reiterated in one of the most well-known quoted verses of all time, John 3, 16, that we're gonna, and we're gonna dive into that. But, I, but we just came across something and I don't want us to miss this. Man, we just saw the solution to the problem we posed in John 3, 3. We just saw that we learned earlier in our passage that, man, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. We cannot see the kingdom of God unless we're born again. How are we born again? We must be born of the water and the spirit. But in that moment, we realize we can't do anything to get there on our own. And so how does it happen? The son of man must be lifted up. And when the son of man is lifted up, then we believe in him. It all compounds into a, to believing in Jesus. We have eternal life. We enter the kingdom of God by believing in Jesus. How can something so foundation-shaking, life-transforming, eternity-changing, G as simple as believing in Jesus? I, I have to just assume that that's what Nicodemus was like dealing with at that moment. Because he maybe didn't even have the full picture. He was still struggling to put it all together. But we have scripture here for us, and it's saying, believe. And if you haven't trusted in Christ, if you haven't believed in who Jesus is and what he has done, I'm here to tell you, it's that simple. You believe in him and what he has done. You, I want you, if, if you haven't taken that step, I want you to ask that person who brought you, who's been praying for you to believe, who's been praying for you to trust in Jesus. That's why they keep inviting you here to hear about Jesus. The secret's out. They want you to believe. Ask them about the moment they believed. Ask them about the moment when the wind came upon them and it was just life transforming. And some of y'all are sitting here like, well, I have believed. I do believe. What does this mean? Man, I want you to just take a moment and just rejoice. Man, rejoice in what God has done for you. Rejoice that he made it so simple that we didn't have to earn it because we couldn't. While we were dead in our trespasses, God made a way through Christ to become children of God. Children who have immediate and forever access to God the Father. We're there with him. And so at this point, I'm asking myself, okay, that's the answer. You believe and trust in Jesus. Why in the world would a holy, perfect God do this? Why would he make a way for a bunch of dirty, rotten sinners to come be with him? Why? And then we just pick it up in verse 16 and we get to see this beautiful answer. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come to the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the, to the light, lest his works should be exposed. 
But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. (laughs) It just always blows me away when I get to look at scripture and just see its beauty. And there's a whole bunch of diamonds in here. uh, And we would go to 90 minutes if we were to unearth all of those. But I'm not going to do that this morning. But we're going to continue to like play into this theme of like, how are we born again? How does it happen? Why does it happen? And it's simple yet so profound to the point of just shaking our foundation. God so loved the world. I mean, we've all heard it, right? At one point or another in our life, we've probably heard John 3.16 said. It was said by Martin Luther. Happy Reformation Day, by the way. Um, It was said by Martin Luther that this verse in itself was the gospel in miniature. God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus and to us as well that this is how it all comes to be. This is it. It's it's through the overflowing, unbounded love of God. This is how the new birth, the eternal life with God can be. Because God so loved the world. It's just, it's amazing. It's, it's overwhelming that this mind-blowing result that whoever believes will have eternal life. I keep thinking, and, I, and I've thought this, if I'm going to be really honest with you, I keep thinking there's more to it. Like the initial, like trusting in Jesus. Like I need to do more. Because I just feel like there's no way this could be it. That eternal life is for those who just believe. And it's not just like I get there. If you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life right now as your present possession. Jesus is with you through the Spirit. He has come to you and he's made you alive in him. And we're about to see it is beautiful. And we see that this, I just love how it just keeps getting more and more powerful because what we see here is that God so loved the world. In the Greek, uh, the word world uh, is cosmos. It's used 186 times in the New Testament and always with a sinful connotation. And so we can actually read verse 16 like this. God so loved the sinful world that he gave his only son. He loved the world that continued to rebel against him. He continued to love the world that rejected him. But God just didn't go halfway. God just didn't show us some of his love. No, God showed his great love that he had for us, that while we were dead in our trespasses, while we were his enemies, he gave his son so that we could be made alive through Jesus Christ. The beauty that we see here is in verse 17, in my opinion, that we get to see that God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn it. God had every right to be this holy, just God who said, everybody rebels against me. I'm going to come and show you what perfect looks like, but I'm not going to make a way. But he didn't do that because God so loved the world that he sent Jesus into the world, not to condemn it, but to save it. That's how much God loves us. And not only does he save it, now he's redeeming it through his spirit that comes inside of us. He's not finished. He's restoring. He's building up his temple again through us. And so what we get to see here is that we and ourselves in this passage condemn ourselves because we didn't believe, because we loved our sin too much. We love the evil. And you're like, well, I'm not evil. Man, 
Scripture is clear that no one is righteous. No, not one. And it's not because, you know, you can't do good things. We can, but we just all miss the mark. We see that we're slaves to sin and our passions, even if we don't realize it. And so we have to have something to combat it because we love the darkness over the light. We love taking care of ourselves. But I, this is where it gets, just gets overwhelming. I, but God, this is out of Ephesians 2, starting in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us with him. God raised us with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, and that we should walk in them. I want you to hear me today. Man, God loves us so much that he made a way for us to be with him. It's the love of God that makes any and all of this possible. It's the love of God that made a way for sinners like myself and like us in this room to be in a relationship with a holy, perfect God. It's because of the love of God that Jesus came and lived the life we were supposed to live. It's because of the love of God that Jesus went to the cross to die the death that we deserved. It's the love of God that made a way for us to be with him for all of eternity. One of my favorite passages in, in all of Scripture is 2 Corinthians 5.17. I feel like it just ties it all together for me. This one helps me like connect the dots, if you will. Because it illustrates what Jesus is talking about when he said you must be born again. He said we must be made new in what happens when we trust and believe in Jesus. So 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It's in this verse that we see our passage, I, I think, come into full picture. Because what we see is, is once we trust and believe in Jesus, we don't just get, he didn't come just to clean us up. He came to make us new. Jesus didn't come to take uh, who we were and shine it up just a little bit. That's not what he's in the business of doing. He's in the business of transforming. It's that he came and took our dead, sinful bodies and made them a new creation, clothed in his righteousness, filled with his spirit. And then we're now born of the water and spirit. We have the ability to now go and repent from our sins because we believe and trust in him. We now have the ability to go and live the life that he's called us to live. Now, we're still sinners. Jesus hasn't returned, but I love that this verse has said that the old's already passed away. Because we die to ourselves and the flesh and the sin that rules through us through Christ's work on the cross and his work in the grave. And we're made new creations in Christ. Because this is it. It is through the death of our flesh that we are born again in Christ. We've asked the question, how can I be born again? It's through Christ. I want you, if, you, if you've trusted in Christ, I want you to rejoice and give praise to God for bringing you from death to life. Remember the sweetness for the first time, man, when you realize, man, you were new. 
meant you are called to something. You were called into the family of God. You were adopted in, but in our language today, man, you were born again. Man, you're a child of God. And so for better or worse, my boys look like me. That's up for you to decide, but they're cute. So maybe that means something good for me. I don't know. But I do know, man, they got their mama's brains and her good looks are finally coming through. But there's no doubt that they're mine, especially when they were really little. And they were like little mini-me's. Man, we just look like our fathers. We do. And so once we believe, once we're born again, I want you to remember God's in the transforming business. And he's come like a rushing wind into your life. And though you may not feel that wind at your back, sometimes pushing you to the Father, sometimes making you look more like the Father, it's there. And I want to encourage you in that. Whenever you feel like it's not there, you remember the joy of your salvation. You remember that God's moved in your life. It's come like a rushing wind out of nowhere. And at times it may not seem like it's there, but it's there. Because he's there making you look more like himself as you believe and follow in him. But for all of us here today, whether we've trusted him or not, we see something. We see a great love, a love that caused Jesus to leave heaven and come and live on this earth, die a criminal's death and defeat sin and death and raising from the dead and on the third day out of the grave. There's nowhere else that hope's found. It's found in Christ alone, all of us. We trust in things around us and they'll just fade away. All things except Christ. And so we close our time just asking these questions. What we've been asking over the past few weeks, what do you believe? Do you believe that if you simply believe in Jesus that you will enter the kingdom of God? Has Jesus done everything necessary to save you? Have you believed in Jesus? My prayer is that if you haven't, you'll talk with someone today. You'll come talk to me. You'll come talk to Pastor Eric. You'll talk with that person who's been inviting you. We just want to talk with you. Doesn't mean you have to believe today, but my prayer is that you do. If you have believed today, I just want to encourage you. Remember, remember the sweetness of our salvation. Remember that you've been born of the water and the spirit that you can now see the kingdom of God, but it's not something we wait for. It's something in this current reality that we have. And so I close, I close with where my mind's been kind of going to all week. And it's with uh, the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. But I need to remind Evan, this doesn't count as my audition, okay? But it just starts here. It goes, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretched treasure. We've asked the question today, what must we do to enter the kingdom of God? The answer is be born again. So how are we born again? By simply believing in Jesus, the son of God. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you loved us with a great love, a love that caused you to send your son for us so that we could believe in him and have eternal life, to be made new in you through Christ's righteousness and what he's done on the cross. God, I thank you that your word just reveals to us and it brings to light that, God, we can boast in you and you alone, not in of ourselves. And so, God, we thank you for that. We thank you for being a God who loves us, who came after us and made a way for us. And for that, God, we just want to say thank you.
And we give you all glory, honor, and praise. Amen.